Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. So our theme this year is loving. Thank you. I'm glad you know it by now. Uh, We are talking this year and focus this year on becoming people who put God's love into action in our lives and our world. And it is based directly on the idea of the great commandment that Jesus has given us, this idea that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Three parts to this commandment to love. And, and I'm here to say, I don't, I think quite, quite honestly, if we don't get Jesus' first commandment to love right, it's going to be hard as God's people to get the rest of it right. And so on Epiphany Sunday, we looked at the idea of the love of God and how the love of God poured out in Jesus Christ is the one thing that can change the universe. That when we look upon the love of God for us, for all, it has the power to change lives if we are willing to take in that love. And then last week, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan and what it means to love our neighbor, and we came to the conclusion that, first of all, to love our neighbor means we first have to be a neighbor. We have to act with compassion and kindness and God's love working through us. And more than that, we have to realize that the love of God is for all, and it bursts open any boundaries, any any divisions that human beings like to put in place about who's good, bad, in, out. Know the love of God. Our neighbor is everyone that God has created in God's own image. So today, we have to come to the third part of the equation because if we don't get this part right, if we don't get love ourselves right then it will be very hard to get the other two right. We are commanded to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And let me say, you know, we live in this society filled with self-help gurus. And you know all the time what they're going to tell you, they're going to say, be you, do you, whatever you want to have, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be, it's all about you. And that is not the gospel message at all. In fact, as we will see, 
that message of it's all about you, do your own thing, be your own whoever, leads us exactly in the wrong direction. So we have this story of Mary and Martha. And, you know, I think it is meant to be a text about self-love, what it means to love ourselves properly, because it follows here in Luke chapter 10. First you get the great commandment, then you get the story of the Good Samaritan, and then comes Martha and Mary. So it's really trying to break open for us what it means to, it, to love ourselves. And a lot of times when we read this story, we think, first of all, well, it's saying that there are no works we can do to earn God's grace, to earn our salvation. No matter how hard you work, you're never going to get there because God's love is a gift. God's grace is a gift. And while that is true, I don't think that's really the point of this story. And then sometimes when we read the story of Mary and Martha, we see it as a commentary on how busy we let our lives get, and then that, does, that doesn't leave us room for God. Now, let me say that there is truth in that, right? If, if you're so busy, um, you know, you're taking on more and more uh, work at the office, and so Sunday morning you're working, then, then maybe there is an issue there. Or maybe if... Um, you know, your, your, your helicopter parents and your, your, you got your kids flying them around. <laughs> That's not what it really means. But you're flying them around to a thousand different things all the time. Then maybe you don't have time to slow down and, and, and spend time with God. But, but I don't really think that's what this passage is really all about, even though there's truth in that. Because uh, there are a lot of people who don't have long to-do lists in our world. I mean, you know, once you retire, you get, and some of you take on a bunch of things, but, but you, you have more free time. Or there are a lot of people in the world whose lives are kind of uh, more simple than ours in the U.S. Think about it, and, you know, we live in a culture of do, 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 but not every country does, and the gospel is for all people. So this is where I come to this idea that I really think that this text of Mary and Martha is trying to tell us what it means to love ourselves. And it comes from paying attention to the contrast that is set up between these two sisters. Now, it's, it's clear that Martha is probably the older sister, and she invites, she's acting like an older sister. She invites, I have an older sister. She invites in... Jesus. Now, we probably shouldn't assume it's just Jesus, because Jesus is almost never on his own. So there may be five, there may be 15 people in this house. And by inviting them in, Martha is extending hospitality, which is, uh, you know, something that God asks us to do, is to extend hospitality. She's not really doing anything wrong. But once they're in the house, you get Mary. Now pay attention here. Mary just sits down by Jesus. In this whole story, Mary doesn't say a word. Mary doesn't say anything to Jesus. 
Mary doesn't say anything to her sister. Mary doesn't defend herself. Mary doesn't say, oh, go on, Martha, you're being bossy. Mary doesn't say a word. She, the text tells us, sits down and listens to Jesus. On the other hand, there's Martha. And the first thing the text tells us is that Martha is distracted. Now listen, you all know exactly what it is to be distracted. Suppose you are leaving the house this morning to come here and uh, you think, gosh, I don't think the furnace is working right. But you come to church and this whole time you're sitting there in the pew and you are distracted. You're thinking about the furnace. Is it working? Who will I call? What will it cost? Do you think there's something wrong with it? What am I going to do? Do I have to wait till You are distracted. Or you're working at home on something that you know you find is really is important and in comes your spouse or your kid or someone calls you and you're still doing this. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they'll say, you're not listening to me. You are distracted. Martha in this text is distracted. She's got all these things she's worried about. She's going, I have to, I have to bake the bread. I have to chop the onions. I, I've got to take care of these people who are in my house, and that's the thing I'm really worried about here. And so watch what she does. She goes to Jesus, hand on hip, finger a wagon, I mean, you can just see it. And she's like, Jesus, hospitality is so important. And my lazy sister, she's just sitting there. She's doing nothing. And then, tell her to help me. She is telling Jesus what's right. She is telling Jesus what to do. She is the one who's demanding of God what should be happening in that house. Now listen, let me ask you about your prayer life. And whether you are Mary or whether you are Martha. Because if you're Martha in your prayer life, what you're doing is going, God, I need this. God, do this. Jesus, where are you? Jesus, fix this. Jesus, fix them. Jesus! If you're Mary, you're like, hi, Jesus. You're listening to God. Jesus is trying to say something very important here. He's not trying to say, don't do things, don't serve, don't... No, he's trying to say, are we so busy doing our own thing, setting up our own expectations that we are not listening to God? This is actually the problem that you find almost throughout the scriptures. Look at the religious authorities. When Jesus shows up, they can't listen. They are not willing to listen because they've already figured out what God is all about. Or look at the people in the Old Testament. 
God's chosen people again and again do their own thing, go their own way, and how many times does God send a prophet to say, if you would just listen and turn in that direction, everything would go well for you. You see, God doesn't set up things like the Ten Commandments and the teachings of Jesus to test us to see if we're going to obey them so God can punish us. That's not a God of love. That's something that we're setting up in our own minds. You know, oh, do this or I'm going to punish you. No. What God is doing is saying, I give you these things. I give you the Ten Commandments. I give you Jesus. I pour my love into Jesus because if you will listen and do these things, you will have the very best possible life. I am trying to show you how to live and live abundantly. I'm trying to teach you how to live well. I'm trying to give you the things that if you listen and do them, you'll have peace, you'll have, you'll have love, you'll have joy. You won't be taken out of the world, but you will be able to see my hand at work in everything if you just listen to me. The key here is that if we are going to love ourselves, if we're going to have the life that God is offering us, we have to listen to God. And sometimes that means that God's going to tell us, hey, don't do that, do this. And, and, and I have to say right here, do not equate listening to God with necessarily listening to the church. Because the church is of human making, and the church is always going to have various motives. But God's motives are that we might be loved and have life, and that the world might be changed because of Jesus Christ. Now, this even means, friends, that sometimes you have to ask whether I, when I get up here and I say the things I say, you need to listen to God and decide whether I'm leading you in the right direction. And I have to say that in my own life, I try so hard now to listen to God. When I was younger, I was so ambitious. I had all these ideas. I want to be this. I want to do that. I don't, I'm not ambitious anymore. I mean, maybe you think I am, but... I, I, really, I really don't have a, you know, a path planned out for me and greater glory in my career or whatever. I just want to listen to God. I just want God's love to be at work in me and to help others capture that love of God, to know that you are loved infinitely and unconditionally because I believe that's the heart of the gospel. And if we get that part right, if we understand how to love and to grow in our love, everything else will fall into place. This, people of God, is a humble triangle. We think that the triangle is often like a kitty toy, like it's supposedly anybody can play a triangle, but uh, percussionists know that is not the case. Triangles are actually a serious instrument. Did you know? Oh, I'm pointing. 
Did you know that in classical music, a number of the composers incorporated the triangle in serious ways. Mozart, Liszt, saw it as a serious instrument. And did you know that at, at like the 17th, 18th century, the triangle was often equated or related to the Christian faith, that you would find triangles in stained glass windows, and that the triangle was often uh, represented as being held by angels. I am not an angel. The triangle clearly had this religious sensibility, and I think because, right, it's a trinity. So you can think Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But for us today, I want us to think of the triangle as representing the great commandment, the love of God, the love of neighbor, and the love of ourselves. Now think about this, it's all connected. You cannot play a triangle if you have three separate pieces. They all have to be joined together properly if you're going to hear the music of God coming forth from the triangle. But here's the other thing. Did you all realize the triangle has a gap? Did you know this? The triangle, it doesn't close up on one side. Did you know this? I didn't really either until I, God said, talk about the triangle. If it's closed, it won't play. If it's closed, you won't hear the music coming forth. It won't make the sounds. If it's closed, like us, if we fill the gap with all manner of things, if we fill the gap with judgment, if we fill the gap with exclusions, if we fill the gap with who's in and who's out, if we fill the gap with busyness, if we fill the gap with the way we've always done it, if we fill the gap with anything that's of human making, it's not going to bring forth the love of God to others. But if we stay open, if we listen to God and remain in that kind of open to hearing what God has for us here and now for us in this place, in this time, then the sound, the very heart, will come forth into the world. But God always gives us that choice. Will we be open? Will we listen or will we fill it in like Martha with all of our own stuff? You see, people of God, it's really very simple to love ourselves in the way that God loves us is simply to be open to the living God and to listen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.